<laughs> okay, shed uncuffed, man. You know, so I was sitting here for quite a while trying to debate, do I come in with my show with this fantastic song? It's an original creation by uh, Mr. Justin Yamas, who's playing a role in our film, a very, very important role. Uh, he's uh, slated to play Dexter Miles, who pretty much is the antagonist to our main character, uh, Mr. Cody Jacobs. So um, I didn't know this at the time when I cast uh, Justin, but this dude could sing. You know, he's getting uh, a lot of exposure. He's from the Bay Area, uh, but he has uh, going back and forth out of Nashville, working on some stuff. And you know what, people, he, this dude is about to blow up. So I asked Justin if he could uh, do a theme song for us for Iowa's Finest. And you know what, he jumped on it and he just, just killed it, uh, hit it on all cylinders. And that's what you just got get done hearing was a song that he wrote and recorded called Bullet and Gun. Uh, Justin did another song for us, but I can't go into specifics because I will uh, definitely spoil the surprise. But um, when, when the film comes out, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, for those who keep in, or keep in count years, wait a minute, 14? What happened to 13? Awesome story. My, my oldest baby uh, did an interview with me, podcast interview, a couple weeks back, and um, that's episode 13. So I'm going to hold off releasing it for now because there's still more we want to be able to share and talk about, have her kind of bring out to the to the forum to the to the crowds and all that stuff uh, she's competing in the Stanford relays which is highly prestigious uh, relays out here um, it's a mixture of college uh, big-time colleges competing and then the, the second day the high schools are competing too um, in order to be able to qualify for those uh, that uh, relays you have to be running some really really good time so uh, Mercedes uh, qualified for four races and so she's gonna be out there doing her thing and we're gonna be in the state rooting her on. Um, I hope nothing but the best for her, of course. But those are the type of things that we touched on a little bit in our in our podcast, some other little things here and there, and I wanted her to get a chance to be able to kind of elaborate on some, some of the topics we talked about. So, episode 13 is going to be reserved for Mercedes, and um, it's, it's going to be titled Her First Solo Voyage, and I'm sure you guys can figure out what that uh, means. She's about to turn 18. She's about to be graduating here in about uh, two, three months. And then she's going to be off on her own, heading off to college for her first solo voyage. So bittersweet occasions going on around here, um, you know, uh, but I think she's going to be just fine. Um, I wish and I hope and I know actually that the that the gods are going to be watching over her um, the same way that they've been watching over me as as I've grown up in this in the world too so you know a lot of people may or may not believe in all that but i do i mean there there's something out there uh watching over us some people declare declare it as in different forms um all that um you know my i'm not here to to say which side is better or anything like that but i truly believe that um that there's a force out there that we can't quite see that guides us along and it's just up to us whether or not we you know receive the hints or or kind of we're paying attention to kind of go where we're being guided more more times than not there's so there's something better on the other side of, of where they're trying to lead you you know it's just simple stuff like you know for if you look around and you you have an important meeting that you have to fly to uh, down in LA and uh, if you don't get there you're not going to get the job or whatever like that I mean there, there's been several times like that where that's the type of situation or something similar and then you're running late and then you and you're just no 
that, that there's no chance you'll be able to get that, that flight. It's just not going to work. And you're all devastated and just, you know, deflated. And then you get to the airport and, you know, you find out that the flight's delayed on its own. And you're just like, holy crap. Okay. All right. And then so you get on that plane. Why did that happen? You know, some people will just kind of pass it off as coincidences. But, you know, I've always believed it ever since uh, ever since a youngster, you know, I mean, um, call it silly, but, you know, everybody knows I'm a movie guy and there's, you know, growing up, there's always been movies that uh, stand out to me, uh, symbolic. So if everybody remembers the movie uh, Clash of the Titans, um, I'm talking about the the first one. <laughs> Back in 70s, whatever it was made, I was a little boy when it first came out. And so the special effects on this one is really bad. Um, you can, you can, it's one of those where you can see the strings that are holding up uh, whatever the little bird thing that's flying around and stuff. And it's, <laughs> but it's, they did the best they could back in those days. Um, and actually for that time, it was, it was state of the art type special effects that really uh, brought brought something new to the to the uh, movie world because it not only was it was it a fantastic story great acting great actors and all that uh it was a really really good love story mixed in with the you know war scenes and um and oh my goodness they had medusa in there medusa to me is always going to be one of my favorite villains i guess you know um because she has her own like little story so they did the best they could and but clash of the titans though the first one was it always was stand out to me because one of the things that they did, uh, Sir, Sir Lawrence Olivier, when he was like the big, you know, m movie star back in the days and all that stuff, I mean, he played Zeus in this film. And the world that they lived in, these the gods that they lived in was, was so well, I guess, staged that it really looked real. Even though that they were just seemingly, to me, just surrounded by clouds, it really was believable. I, to this day, I still, it still stays in my head, even when I watch it now, I still still believe that they are real. They they did that good of a job and made that lasting of an impression on me that, that you know, to me, that movie aged very, very well, you know? And so one thing that stands out to me is that when Perseus has to um, go on the quest to save his, what would you call it at that time, fiance, his future wife or whatever, he's he's presented with all these uh, these challenges and obstacles only because the, the his antagonist, I can't, Calibus or whatever is his name, um, and his mom is doing everything he can to derail Perseus's uh, quest. So if you guys remember this, there's parts where Perseus would fall to the ground completely exhausted. And then Zeus, who controls everything, the lead god, when everybody walks off, he has this funny, awesome little smirk on his face. And he looks, make sure they're around the corner because he's the boss. But, you know, he can also get overruled because there's like six of those and just him. Just him. And if, you know, he's just very smart to, and he just says, okay, all right, the coast is clear. And he obviously wants Perseus, because that's his son, to prevail. So he waits, and then he, uh, if everybody remembers the the, the part, uh, apparently the world below is all like like a, what, what would you call it? Like they're like models and stuff like that. Clay people, and, and each clay figure represents the people on earth. And um, obviously you gotta have open mind when you think about all this stuff. But, Perse but uh, Zeus picks up Perseus's uh, little doll thing and he stands it up straight. <laughs> so 
Then the movie t cuts back in with Perseus now in real life. In the movie, he's back full strength and he's back on his quest to, uh, with Medusa's head. Uh, I'm sorry, people, if I'm ruining the movie if you haven't seen it yet. But if shame on you if you not if you have not seen this movie. Uh, if you haven't seen the seventy the seventy version, holy crap, you definitely should see the the new version. It's not as good, but there's certain scenes and sequences in it that are just kind of just blows that version away because of the the high high tech of uh, special effects that are in the mix now uh, like like the scene with the uh, medusa on this one and the new one i can watch that all day i look at that sequence all the time because i kind of take notes from it uh wow they did such a great job with that everybody did um you know but it but but in the end the the objective of it all is that to put off this impression that the gods are real so maybe that's what happened with me and i kind of that kind of has stood with me for a while that the, that there are forces out there that you can't really see but they're guiding you along um if you, on another note, I mean, um, if you remember Brave, the one where the real hard-headed, I guess, in a way, but strong-willed uh, daughter, I believe Mariel, she doesn't want to be forced into marriage and all these different things, and so she breaks off from tradition. Uh, she's princess, and so she breaks off from tradition and uh, kind of wants to do her own and stuff. So she goes off on her own like little journey. But if you watch the beginning of that film, even though come on now, it's it's uh, you know kind of cartoon form or whatever, it's uh, animation. Even if it was in real life uh, film version, one part that stays with you is at the beginning when she's a little girl and she's uh, kind of like playing around in the open field bar herself and she's picking flowers and just kind of like uh, just happy like little kid who's just off in just her own world and just loving life but she's walking towards this area where this I can't remember the dude's name but it's the giant bear um he, he's the one who terrorizes everybody in the end she's walking straight towards that bear and so the wisps appear and just kind of like they like a flash a flicker of light just boom right in front of her and then now all of a sudden she she forgets all about the flowers and then now she's paying attention to these flickers of lights and then now they're guiding her away from where the bear is those are the type of things where just kind of like you know i mean someone someone recognized that and um and they put it in their film and those are the type of things that stand out to a lot of people um, makes me think about this one time when I was younger, right? So in junior high school, maybe 10th grade, I guess, whatever. But so I, there was a guy who I went to junior high school with and maybe the first couple years of, of, or the first year of high school with, and dude was freaking stud. Uh, I'll give you his name. His name's Chris Stovall. Just, just a bad dude. Just a really good, good dude. Uh, funny. And then just kind of like this, this awesome smile. Um, and then when he kind of, you know, you know, hit his stride or grew up, grew up, you know, I mean, hit puberty or whatever, however you want to say it. I mean, um, he just became a man, you know, got all the muscles and everything. And just, he was a smooth cat all around the board. And and then, so just him and I were close, close friends. And then um, fortunately, ne next year in high school, he ended up moving. And then so his, or I don't know if he moved, but they, they changed the borders of our, of the city. So he now had to end up going to a different school. So him and I, he ended up go to north i was at west and i can tell you something our i don't know if it's just a davenport thing but our 
Um, and maybe it's not that way so much anymore, but back when I was growing up, man, there the rivalries were fierce. North didn't like West, West didn't like Central, Central hated North and West. Then Assumption was mixed in there, who they did the best they could, you know, against the, the bigger schools. Uh, Assumption's a private school, but um, the other schools are just like, they got their own personalities. They're areas of the city. You go over here this way. If you're not from Central or whatever, you know, you better, you better have a reason for being there. You know, I mean, it's not, obviously not that as uh, scary, but it, it was more fun than anything. Like the robbery was for, for real. And, and especially for in the sports world, you know, uh, you people try to take each other out, you know, um, you know, stories like uh, when just, you know, you would always go after each other. Um, but at the end of the day, there was a lot of mutual respect as well. But while you were competing, uh, it was uh, it was a death fight and all that stuff. So so when Chris went to uh, North, him and I kind of became like uh kind of like rivals it was weird you know we weren't hating on each other it was just kind of like he went to north now he's a wildcat i'm a, a falcon and just you know i mean maybe the natural lord, order of the wild is like you know falcons get chased by uh, wild cats and vice versa you know i mean they're just battling each other i don't know maybe that's what it was you know it's friendly rivalry for more than anything but i remember i'm not gonna say her name but chris uh swiped my girlfriend <laughs> that's just the way it works too. Uh, yeah, uh, swiped my girlfriend and, you know, I was left high and dry. She's like all in love with this Chris guy. And, you know, and good for him, you know. I mean, um, just, I mean, that's just the way in love and war, I guess. That's just the way it works. So, but if I go back to the gods, so I think that the gods were kind of watching what happened one day because, uh, you know, the 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 girl he swiped, I, very cynical in a way that, that she would always let me know how how much better of a boyfriend Chris was and Chris would eat it up because I mean that's just how guys are and stuff so but it would never ever obviously turn crazy between Chris and I it was just one of those things where hey you know I just accepted the fact that I lost you know there's nothing I can do about that one but it still kind of stung a little bit you know uh so I hadn't hit my stride yet you know I still had like little dinky muscles and stuff uh no mustache and just was just a little you know and then that was back in the days when <laughs> I had this nasty nasty sore uh because i was doing something stupid one day and i burned the skin in the middle of my eyes um like in a like a small like nickel size uh of skin got burned and it wasn't just like a regular like with a flame burn it was like chemical burn and so this this score, this sore was so on a whole other level. I mean, it it was it was all pussy all the time. It, it got infected, and then it would not heal. No matter what I did, there was nothing I could do to to calm this thing down. It was all angry every time I woke up. The thing was like 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 red and bleeding and just nasty and oozing out pus and stuff. And no one around me knew what what was going on. And like it was just you, everywhere I went, I get these looks like what. Is wrong with your face and stuff so you know i was in a bad bad shape i was in bad shape you know here chris is just like 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 a bullhunk you know just everybody's just loving them girls loving them and here i am with this little this cyclops thing in the middle of my face and um and just like had its own like little personality and it was just kind of like it stood out and it was just like there was nothing i could do i tried to wear glasses and cover it up and and there was just no there was no hiding from it and stuff so uh, obviously something like 
like that could kind of damage your confidence and stuff. So I was behind the curve when it came to, I just wasn't just cool, you know? And so I was already like, uh, like not well off when it come, you know, kind of like, okay, well, Crystal, my girl, what do I do about it? Huh? Well, let me start calling her up and say, hey, what are you doing? You know, try to win her back. It was just, I didn't, I didn't know how to do that off. So, you know, one day the girl calls me and uh, again, like I said, to rub it in how much better, uh, you know, how much more fun she's having with Chris and all these different things. Um, calls me and she's like, hey, guess where we're at? And I'm just like, where? Well, we were playing basketball and uh, up at the park and I was with Chris and Chris was making all these baskets and he was doing all these different things. And he was just, he's, he was just doing such a great job. He was playing you know, pick up basketball and I'm rooting them on. I'm just like, okay, uh, why did you call? He was like, no, it's just a funny story because I can't remember the other girl's name. She's just like, uh, let's let's call her uh, Janet. I don't know. I, I just made that name up. Um, no one can accuse me of anything because I just made up the name Janet, everybody. All right, so Janet comes up and she's just like, and so what they would always do is like, Janet always would have money and then so she was she was always uh, wanting to try to be fr have friends. So Janet, it said, hey, I'll take you guys out to, uh, I got 20 bucks. I take you guys to 7-Eleven, you know, get you guys some whatever you want. And they're just like, okay, let's go. So Chris, his girlfriend, and then Janet um, all say, they, okay, so they walk across the street, apparently. And this is her telling me this story. They walk from, from the uh, basketball courts, cross the street, go through the field, go down the hills, um, go down the like the other like little uh, dead end and go to where uh 7-Eleven is on the about two two or so blocks away from the park so and then she's just like and then we get there and we and then she you know Janet finds out that she lost the money <laughs> So she's just like, so we're out here looking for this month, this this twenty dollar bills that this stupid girl uh, lost, and that's what she was saying. Me, I wasn't calling her stupid, but that's what she was saying. It was like, can you believe this? And it was like, and I'm just like, yeah, okay, all right, well, thanks for filling me in. And she's just like, all right, you take care. And then we hang up. So I'm sitting there, just like, man, that sucks. I'm like, you know, I mean, I'm like the laughing stock of, of my crew or group that I hang out with and all that stuff, uh, especially because I got this thing that lives in my in front of my nose. And um, it just kind of like that was always a rumor. I was like, how did he burn his his face? I mean, you know, and no one really knew. They came up with all these different things. Like I like I, I was putting cigarettes out in the middle of my face. <laughs> It was just all kinds of crazy things. Um, the the real story is worse than that, but <laughs> anyway, so I'm sitting here, just I'm sitting at the house all demoralized and stuff like that. Because um, I actually I kind of still like the girl, you know. So I'm about ready to throw in the towel again. And then something told me, nope, you're not going to be sitting in the room sulking. Get your butt up, get in the car and go up there. And I'm just like, okay. And then I just follow the lead of whoever's telling me to do whatever. And I'm just like, okay, I get up and I get up. I, there's no real reason for me to do this anyway, but just because something my gut said to get up, get in the car and go. So I get up and I go out there. I live about, you know, down the road of, of just a little bit from the from this particular park. And so it's about a five minute drive, if that, you know. So I obviously I know where the park is because I would play out there too. So I kind of drive up uh, the main road, get towards the park, get closer to the park. And um, I have no clue where what path they took to walk from the, the basketball courts to the 7-Eleven. So I just found my own like little place and parked. I said, okay, 
now what? And then something said, okay, get out. And, you know, and I drove by Chris and um, the two girls as they were, as they were looking around and just kind of like, and we're talking about like grass fields, like thick grass and stuff. I mean, um, uh, you know, Iowa, a lot of the, you know, lands are kind of spread out and all that stuff. You'll have a couple stores here, bing, bing, and then go a little bit of windy road or whatever. And then all of a sudden there's a school and then just a neighborhood or right here. Very, very nice setup for a, for a city. I really do like the layout. It's, it's, it's widespread and there's so much land there in Davenport where they can just keep developing. And every time I go back home now, I'm seeing, it's like, my goodness, this, this city is getting big. All this area right here was just uh, pastures of grass. And, you know, just for how far you can see, now you have the big old whole new neighborhood, you know, the east section of uh, sub-district of whatever. And now now that's whatever. But at that time, it was mostly under underdeveloped except for the 7-Eleven and a couple different stores. So there's trails here and there that you can cut through and all that stuff. And just kind of like, I had no clue where they went. When I drive by them, they give me a look and... Uh, they both, they all kind of look like frustrated, like th this sucks and stuff like that. And you can just see them yelling or hear them yelling at, um, at uh, Janet, you know, and she's like trying to plead her case. Oh, I'm sorry. Just keep looking. So anyway, so I park and I, I get out and I start walking and looking around myself. And then, um, I go from one side of, uh, you know, near 7-Eleven and then I, I kind of backtrack. I'm just like, okay, they've already kind of looked at this area. I see the area where they're, they're looking now. So I, let me just start over here. I don't even want Want to be looking at them anyway so i start on the other side of the hill uh where they were or the field where they were and all that stuff and like i said it's like super grassy so um, i'm looking good five ten minutes or so goes by no big deal i'm you know i'm still bummed out i'm like man i can't believe you know seeing that site was just really rough you know but you know let it go kenny let it go so i'm keeping looking uh, i'm still just kind of just kind of just just you know, I was one of those guys where uh, playing out in the woods was our thing anyway. So that was kind of fun for me was walking around in the, this wooded area uh, or grassy area and all that stuff. It was just kind of cool to, uh, for me anyway. And so I, I stumble across this this tire, you know, it's a nice looking tire. What made me think like to pick this tire up? I have no clue. It was just like a regular old tire abandoned and it was like in the middle of this field and it was just but it looked clean and looked you know, new, kind of newish and stuff. And it's like, somebody threw away a tire. Wow, okay. I mean, um, I have no clue what I'm going to do with this, but some, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to just leave this tire out here. You know, I'm just going to, I could use it for something. I don't know. I mean, I would do stupid stuff like that all the time. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. I mean, we'd be down at the creek and, you know, I remember uh, there's like this big old wooden spool thing, just one of those large size ones in the middle of the, in the, the creek and I swam out there um, and grabbed it and you know pushed it all the way up the, the the shoreline and stuff and then we're in the woods area so I had to get it all through the trees and stuff and I rolled it all the way home it was like like five miles maybe uh, rolling it home and maybe two or whatever it wasn't that that much but uh, but it was a good distance and I get all the way home and I said dad look what I found He's like, yeah, okay. Why well, did you get it? And I just look at him like, you know what? I don't have the slightest idea. So, <laughs> and it just stood out in the backyard, um, just doing nothing really for the rest of that time. Um, but those were just the things that just stood out to a little kid. Um, 
you know, that, yeah, grab the tire. So I pick up the tire and I start to carry it, but this thing's so heavy and I'm I'm trying to get it back to the car, you know, which is like a, a whole field away now. And I'm, I'm just like, well, at least I can get this out of it. Uh, so I'm carrying this tire all through these weeds and stuff like that. And it's starting to get too heavy. So I'm just like, well, I don't want to just leave it. I've already gone this far with it. I'm going to keep it. So I start rolling it now. So now I'm rolling it through some of the uh, field and then there's like some trails mixed in here and there then I'd follow the trail as much as I could and then it'd, it'd cut off and then you'd have to carry it again and then you know or you you shift over and you cut through this kind of thinner part of the grassy field and stuff and then I'm just I don't care man I've, I've committed this much of my energy and time to this tire I'm getting it to the house so I'm I'm willing it and pushing it and rolling it, right? So, and then all of a sudden it started, you know, there was like a slope, like a rocky slope. And then we start kind of, uh, the wheels, the wheels, the tire, I'm sorry, starts getting a little bit too fast. And now I'm trying to run and keep up with it. And it's hitting rocks and bumping all over the place. I'm trying to keep it under control. It hits this big old uh, bank, whatever. And then, then it veers to the left and I'm trying to catch it. And it's really way out of control now. And it goes boom, 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 all over the place. And I'm running after this thing because I'm like so focused now on this freaking tire and I'm just like just not caring that I'm getting torn up by all the like the the, the jagged edge stuff and everything out there and that in the weeded area and finally after this long journey two three hundred yards of just rolling out of control goes boom hits another like a like a big old rock flips over end over end, bloom, 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 keeps rolling. And then finally, I'm glad it did that because I was literally running out of running out of breath and I couldn't keep up with it. It was going that fast. And finally, it came to a rest over here on the other side of the field of there. So I'm just like, whew, caught my breath. I get up and I go, or I go over there and everything. I'm just like, you, you know, you're coming with me no matter what you think. You know, I'm talking to the tire, I guess. And so I go and I pick it up and I look. And it's right on top of the $20 bill. <laughs> <laughs> I you look, I'm a story writer, okay? Everybody knows that, but I am not making this thing up. I, there's no way in the world I could come up with that type of a story. It that tire was sitting on top of the $20 bill that was lost by these three knuckleheads and and I couldn't even believe it. I reached down and I'm like, "Oh my goodness." And at that time, you know, that was like, uh, no, 88. Oh, anyway, 88, one of those years, it was way back there and stuff. So $20 is a lot of money back in those days and stuff like that. So it was like I was holding a, a $300 bill, man. So I was like, oh, wow. And then I, I grab it and I'm all excited. I'm jumping for joy. <laughs> now I'm, I get, now the tire doesn't weigh anything, really. I'm like, it's, it's, I'm holding it with like one arm, man, running, running to the car. For some reason, it was just all of a sudden, I, I couldn't feel anything other than just like an unbelievable amount of happiness and stuff. So um, I get back to the car and I and I drive by Chris and two girls and I honk, hey, you guys looking for this? And they say, what? And they start chasing me and I'm just like, Ooh. I kind of slowed up a little bit so they get a little bit close and they're screaming. Chris is mad, pumping his arms and everybody else is all mad. That's mine. Boom. Gone. Got back to the house and I was just like, all I could think of was that uh, if you use the idea that the gods are watching over us, you know, the gods of broken heart, goddess or God, whichever one, uh, was watching over me that day and said, you know what? I'm going to root for the underdog in this one. You know, this dude 
dude <laughs> deserves a break. <laughs> you know, he already has this thing on his on his uh, in between his eyes that just won't heal. And you know, he, and they just said, let's give him a break today. And so they did. And and that's the only explanation that uh, I can think of that got me to where that $20 was. And it was a great, great day. Uh, obviously, you know, the girl called me and want the makeup and was like, hey, you know what? Chris is such a jerk. He was yelling and you know, what are you doing? And I'm just like, click. <laughs> Case Ah, anyway, so I don't know. I, 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 I'm a true believer in that, um, that there's something out there if you're paying attention, it's calling to you and it's trying to, I don't know, I call them signs from the gods or gifts from the gods. And they're tr they're trying to help you through whatever ordeal. Life is designed to, um, to uh, challenge everybody. And it's all up to them to, uh, you know, step up to the challenge and um, try to prevail it. My dad would always say the world is all waiting for everybody there uh, with, their, with the, its arms outstretched. Stretched, and on each side of the can is a fish ready to knock the crap out of you. <laughs> so, you know, that's just, that's just another challenge, especially if someone that young, you know, going through high school, going through junior high or whatever, you know, it's, it's, you, everybody's all dealing with all kinds of uh, issues and stuff like that. It's, it's, you know, on top of that, you're trying to pass your classes and you're trying to fit in and all that stuff. So I know um, that's what my girls are going through right now. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm positive that, that the, the gods are going to be there to watch over them as well, you know, so which leads leads me to the name of this podcast. K-Shed Uncuffed episode number 14 is called The Coolest Football Ever, um, unless I decide to change the name to something else. But that's what we're going to go with now. And I am looking at a this incredible football. It's old, a little bit drubbed up. It's a balding football. And it has the brown leather, you know, half and half. One, one panel of it is brown leather. And it has American Football League. Pete Rozelle as the commissioner engraved on it. Now, by knowing that and looking at that, that tells you right there that this is an old, old football. You know, Pete Rozelle was like one of the first commissioners way back in the days, and then it says American Football League, and so it's obviously the American Football Conference, the AFC now, but this was like back in the days when it was the AFL. And as I'm looking at this ball, it's from 1968, and it has uh, many different signatures on it, and when I look around on it, you would not I believe the names on this football. Uh, there is Kenny Stabler, Ben Davison, Gene Upshaw, Willie Brown, just to name a few. So um, you were wondering how I know this is from back in uh, 68 is because there's, I had, what I had to do was, uh, and I'll tell you how I got in uh, possession of this amazing football, uh, the, the coolest football in the world afterwards, but um, it's, there's faded signatures on it too. And what I had to do was, and some that I can't read. So what I ended up having to do was the ones I could read, I had, uh, I, I, um, I put a, I put on a list, right? And then I kind of, uh, I go to another signature I can uh, read. Some, like I said, are kind of faded out. And then there's one one guy who I got to, Mr. John 
Roderick, a uh, former uh, wide receiver for the Oakland Raiders. And um, he played only one year for the Raiders and it was in 1968. So uh, using my technically sound brain, uh, which anybody could have figured that one out, means pull up the 1968 roster of the Oakland Raiders and then kind of go backwards. So that's what I did. And I was able to look at this ball, all the other signatures, and it was it's confirmed. This ball was autographed from the Raider team back in, you know, 68. That was the year uh, with the, with that roster of, uh, of guys. And um, I'm here with this ball with, with here. I'm about to read, I'm about to read you the names on this on this ball. Bob Cruzy, Jim Harvey, John Roderick, Ben Davidson, Gene Upshaw, Howie Williams, Dave Kalkurik, George Blanda, Ken Stabler, Harry Shush. I'm saying that wrong. I apologize to the, his family if if uh, him and his family if I said that wrong. Preston Riddlehuber, Larry Todd, Jim Otto, Bill Miller, Cotton Davidson. Roger Haberg, Dave Morrison, Jerry Hopkins, Warren Powers, Charlie Smith, Mike Eicheld, Willie Brown, and Roger Bird. There's obviously the one with uh, Willie Brown uh, doesn't have Hall of Fame on top of it at that time because it was in 68 and now he was still playing. If you look at a Willie Brown uh, ball or signature now, he has uh, the trademark Hall of Fame over top, which just completes one of the, the best all around football players of signature of all time. Um, he was he was a unstoppable force anyway, but just an, a fantastic person uh, with a amazing personality uh very warm and then his signature was just as just as amazing um i had a chance to, uh, several chances to do promotions with him and um what he brought to the to the team was something amazing so i'm holding a ball now with some of the best football players of all time on, on one of the best teams ever created and um that's how i was able to figure out uh where this ball came from i don't know exactly how um you know where the football players were and the team were when they obviously autographed this ball so that's where my um uh, imagination has to kick in and so as i'm looking at this ball it brings me to those days when um back in 68 when that team was known as one of the fiercest teams ever put together so let me read you what the breakdown of the 1968 oakland raiders season was the the 1968 oakland raiders season was the team's ninth season in both Oakland and the American Football League. It saw the team try to improve upon its 13-1 record from 1967. They ultimately finished one game short of matching that year's result. Their 12-2 finish still ensured that they would lead the league in wins for a second consecutive year. Led by third-year head coach John Roch, they tied with Kansas City for the division title, which was settled by an unscheduled tiebreaker playoff, won 41-6 by the Raiders. At that time, the owner was F. Wayne. Valley. The general manager, Al Davis. Head coach, John Roche. Their home field was the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. Their record was 12-2. and two, uh, First place in the AF AFL. Listen to that. The AFL <laughs> Western. They won divisional playoff uh, versus the Chiefs, and then they lost the AFC AFL championship against the Jets. 
1968, the season featured a growing rivalry between the Raiders and the New York Jets, led by fourth-year superstar quarterback Joe Namath. The teams met twice in 1968. The first was on November 17th in Oakland, which saw the Raiders complete a stunning fourth-quarter comeback over the Jets, scoring two touchdowns in nine seconds. Known today as the Heidi game, it remains one of the most famous in AFL-NFL history. They paired up six weeks later in the AFL, I'm sorry, I keep saying AFC, the AFL championship game in New York where Namath's Jets emerged victorious in, 20, in a 27 to 23 upset on December 29. Two weeks later, the Jets upset the Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl III. That was the guarantee game, guys. So much history is booming out of this ball right now. Um, the 1968 season is also notable for a few changes to the team, included the additions of George Atkinson, Art Shell, and Ken Stabler. All three won a championship with the Raiders eight years later in Super Bowl XI. Uh, additionally, Shell in 1989 and Stabler in 2016 were both inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So, I have the world's coolest football in my possession. Um, again, you have to see it to believe it. It literally looks like something that should be in a museum or, you know, uh, more aptly put, uh, the Football Hall of Fame in Canton, um, just because of, it still smells as if it was the just fresh off assembly line back in, in, the, in those days and stuff. And it looks just the same like it came from those days. And Pete Rozelle, obviously everybody knows the history between Pete Rozelle and Mr. Al Davis. So there's there's so much to be learned about this football, how it ended up where I where I came in contact with it. Um, but it's in it's safe now and it's beyond inspiring for me uh, when I hold it and I look at it. Um, you know, I it brings me back uh, to if if I played in those days and stuff with that team. Uh, wow, because those are the real those are the real days. I know that the the Raiders are on the path to return to greatness, but they in the meantime they have the, a fantastic history to hold on to and remember. And uh, this football to me is something that is very very powerful. So. One day when I was playing, or actually I was done playing, but um, I was uh, working uh, as a police officer, and um, I can't remember how many years on I was, but you know it was well into my like year year fifteen ish probably, you know around that time frame. So you know if people don't know San Leandro has kind of an issue when it comes to homelessness and uh, some of the uh, home transit camps uh, that are out there. Uh, they do a lot of different uh, programs to help combat that and help. Uh, people get off the streets and stuff. Um, so I applaud them to that. Uh, one of the hardest working uh, police officers over there at San Leandro is their uh, homeless liaison, Officer Warren de Guzman, who um, has has really, really kind of uh, revolutionized that position in a way that there's not, he, he, there's, these people respect him, you know, and they, once they're done and ready to officially be done on the streets, they know that they can go to Warren and he will pave the way for them to be able to g get connected with the programs and the resources that are out there that they're surrounded by that could help them finance a home or get, you know, put them in a place where it's, where they don't have to pay anything and just, you know, it's designed to help them get established 
established again and on their feet. So, you know, I applaud uh, that officer and all the other officers who um, do what they can to try to help the, the, the homeless. So, but this particular time uh, I'm working and then we get a call, uh, what they call civil standby. So anytime you go to a, like a, a, a house or whatever, where someone there's like, there's been an argument or two people are disagreeing and um, family disputes and all that stuff. And then one of the family members is going, needs to go pick up their stuff, something like that, where it could go sideways very quickly. You know, they'll, they'll call the police and then um, the police will come by um, always to, um, and then uh, stand by while that person is moving their stuff or gathering their things and stuff. Or if there's other things that need to be, need to go down, like sometimes people get served with paperwork and all that stuff. And then, you know, the, whoever's serving the paperwork, they got to feel safe. So they call us to come by with them. And, you know, it's just, that's one of the services that the police officers provide. So um, why not utilize it? So in this particular case, one of the businesses where they were like a laundromat, I believe there was a building and, and then the, the building owner owned the, all the buildings kind of on that, uh, in that little plaza area. And one particular was a laundromat and the, the owner, the property owner did everything they could to kind of, you know, uh, reach out a helping hand to this particular homeless man. Um, I can't remember his name, but uh, uh, he was very famous for being, you know, kind of like a belligerent and very hot headed uh, San Leandro citizen, you know, just kind of like he didn't want to be included in the in, in rules and all that stuff. He, I don't want to say liked being homeless, but maybe he did. He just, that was his lifestyle that he embraced. And um, um, that particular area uh, behind the laundromat in this particular man's uh, man's property, he just kind of like took it over, and it started off small at first, and so uh, you know, and then there's 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 trees back there, so it was kind of hidden from the public, so it kind of worked best. It kind of worked for both sides, and a lot of times, um, the homeless people or transient pe people, they keep sometimes there's uh, like verbal agreements that were, hey, I'll keep an eye on your property if someone comes around trying to maybe you know kind of sneak a little bit too close to your front doors, I'll yell at them and scare away type stuff you know if you're okay with me staying out here so it kind of works both ways and stuff and um, if those type of unions get squared away then then great uh, the peace is kept and then uh, people's properties looked after and then the transits have a home so you know it's a win-win really um, this particular guy like I said he has history of just not being the friendliest person in the world after a while he starts overstay overstaying his welcome I guess so uh, in this particular case his homeless encampment began to grow and grow and and there's just more things all over the place uh, scattered about and he would just keep you know accumulating all these different things and then if people would, would some people would walk by he wasn't the friendliest person in the world so you know now he's scaring customers who are coming there to try to uh, you know get their laundry done and all that stuff so it, it became more of a burden and a headache and the uh, the gentleman was losing and his other uh, you know managers of, of the businesses there at the property they were losing business so I think they gave him an ultimatum to kind of start cleaning things up and or tearing things down and not making things as as messy as what he was doing and then I think he was supposed to kind of agree to the terms and he didn't then they cut down the trees and then as kind of like a kind of his last warning hey you know uh, we're cutting down the, the the trees out here so now you're really kind of visible to everybody please tear down your 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 homeless encampment so it's not as unsightly as it is just kind of downsized with everything and just like I said it was just it's like a jump 
junkyard. It was, it really literally was a junkyard. So after the time frame that they gave him passed and they were really done with him and they served him with papers that he needed to get, he needed to leave off their property. So that's why we were called there. We're sitting there, me and the other officer, we get there, we see, oh man, that's such and such again. And there was mixtures of everything, discarded bikes, um, you know, uh, wood structures and, um, you know, tent stuff and uh, thrown away items and metal, everything, wheels and uh, it, you name it was out there. And uh, a lot of it was kind of like built to fortify it as his homeless encampment. But in overall, it just looked like a mess, but it was massive. So we're there for a good five, 10 minutes and stuff. And, you know, but we're just hanging out and then rolls up on his bike and he's yelling, God dang it. I, and then we're there trying to plead with them. Hey, we gave you every chance. And, you know, he put up the biggest fight he could verbally, but there was just literally nothing he could do. So he quickly caught the hint. Thankfully, there was no drama or anything like that, but you could just tell he was not happy. He's throwing stuff around and just, he's mad, I guess. So, uh, but as long as he wasn't doing anything to harm anybody, yeah, it's all good. So as he as he's doing that, you know, he's on one side of the pile, all that stuff, trying to go through everything he's looking for. He starts over here. I, I mean, going through everything that he will need or that he'd want to take. So he'll he'll put stuff in a cart and then he'll take it wherever his new place was and then he'd come back and stuff. So on the part that he looked at and kind of filtered through everything on this part of the junk pile and was done with everything, uh, he had grabbed everything he needed and then took away you know I'm still I'm kind of standing there and all that stuff and I'm kind of still kind of just kind of trying to pass the time and then I look and I look again and I'm just like you know underneath something is a is this brown leather looking thing I didn't know exactly what it was but you know no no more circumstances I would have just kind of like oh okay there's just more junk over there but there was something about this particular shape or this object that just caught my eye and I just had I mean I'm I'm you know nowhere near it but something about it just I couldn't take my eyes off so you know by a officer was on the other side of the encampment. I was over here more closer to, to where the laundromat was. So uh, I was able to kind of like uh, kind of maybe stay in the shade or whatever. So by rights, I should have just stayed where I was because I was, you know, there was, I wasn't in the middle of the sun or anything like that. And I should have just left whatever that was that I, that I was looking at alone, but something told me to go over there. So I go kind of, you know, I mean, here I am walking through some dude's homeless encampment, you know, and now it's officially not his because he's, he's given it up and all this stuff is going to be thrown away, but it's still a whole bunch of junk. I mean, if you trip and fall, you're you're like going to be like head first and someone's like throwaway, discarded, anything could be underneath those things. And I'm not trying to be too critical, but these homeless encampments aren't very, obviously aren't clean. And they're just, you know, anything could be underneath there. I mean, we're talking vermin and all that stuff and everything. So, uh, but I was for whatever reason drawn to this object. So I go over there and I look and I say, oh yeah, that is a football and I look one panel of it is brown leather the other panels the other three panels are um white so I'm looking and you know I'm just okay all right no big deal I wiped it was kind of obviously covered in some type of uh like rain water or whatever and it was kind of tucked down in there in the in the uh muddy grassy area underneath all this stuff all this muck and all that everything so I just kind of like wiped use something to wipe all that stuff off and I I said hey um whatever the officer's name I'm not gonna say but uh, I just say, hey, catch. So I toss a, uh, you know, 20, 30 yard pass or whatever. It wasn't that far, but you know, just to kind of show off my arm, whoosh. 
And, you know, he catches it. And then all of a sudden, now we're having fun, you know, I mean, because we were sitting there doing nothing. And now we're having fun. We both are big, uh, big football fans in any way. And, um, and so we're just like tossing the ball back and forth and everything. Each one's trying to like throw the perfect spiral and all that stuff. And, you know, but I don't really notice too much about this ball other than just kind of it's just a football and it's something to kind of entertain ourselves. So he's kind of getting wrapped up and everything. Um, the our, our day is almost done here and all that stuff. So I was getting ready to, we were both kind of done playing football and I was, so I was getting ready to toss this thing back out in into the pile and I look and the name Kenny Stabler catches my eye and I'm just like, Kenny Stabler? Is that Kenny Stabler's name? And I look and I'm just like, oh my God, that is. And then on, on the side of it next to it is, Ben Davison. Ben Davison. Then I see Gene Upshaw. <laughs> I'm looking at this thing. This can't be real. I, this cannot be real. And as I look and I'm seeing all these other names that are just like how I would sign a football, you know, I mean, anybody who knows that, you know, autographing football, you just know the, what it looks like. And it looks and it's authentic. This is an authentic football signed by these guys who I already know are Raiders. You know, I, the name Kenny Stabler obviously stands out no matter what. You know, some aren't as famous and stuff, but uh, you know, uh, Gene Upshaw, uh, uh, you know, all those those names, and then uh, Jim Otto, all those guys and everything. So, and then you just look at the pure design on the front, and you're just like, this is an authentic football from back in the days when. Oakland, when the Oakland Raiders were in Oakland at the Coliseum, this is from an event or a promo, promotional event where these guys were there and they all signed this ball. And I'm just like on cloud nine, I'm just like, the heck is this? Uh, so I, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I can't just keep it, you know, but I can't throw it back into that pile either. And I, so I said, hey, um, whatever his name is, you, is this something you want? He's like, leave me alone. No, I don't want that. Leave me alone. You know, and I'm just like, you sure? And he just kind of flipped me off or whatever. And I was like, okay. And then that to me was the green light to rescue this ball uh, from sure, you know, destruction pretty much. And to this day, I'm almost shocked and I feel bad for him because he did not know the value of this football that I now have in my hands, he just he just didn't. If he would have taken a moment to kind of look at it and kind of look at the name and all that stuff on there, I mean, you know, I, I, it's 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 amazing. But you know, it was it was a, I was in the right place at the right time. So why did I tell this story? Because there was no excuse for me to be where I was anyway, other than to just stand by and just kind of stay put and kind of watch over everything and all that stuff. I was drawn to this football and I could not take my eyes off of it. And if it would have been the other way around, like the other officer, I know that officer, well, there's no way in the world he would have walked into that, into that pile uh, to check out anything, uh, anything short of a all out fight with the dude. He was staying where he was and he wasn't dealing with all that, that throwaway stuff, which is, that's the smart way uh, anyway. But for me, I happened to be the right person at the right time who was right there, who knew, Number one, that's a football. Uh, number two, this is a football that was signed by Kenny Stabler, the great snake for the Oakland Raiders back in the days. And if I look out and I, there's, it's signed by his teammate. So w the only thing that I can think of is that this football was, was, was called
told to me by Mr. Al Davis himself, you know, because this is a ball that's that's directly connected to him. Um, I would not be surprised if I if I look at this thing, because like I said, there's some areas over here um, that might bear his name. You know, I know a lot of the times when um, people would ask uh, Al Davis for his signature, he would say, no, no, just uh, I'm not the one that you need. You need those football players, my players signatures and stuff like that. That's just the type of person he was, you know, but um, he's embodied in this football himself because of spirit. And I really think that he he figured out a way to signal to me to look over there and save this football that's so connected to his team. His, this football, there's no way in the world should have suffered some type of fate like that. I'm mad that it was left in the freaking on the ground for that for that period of time where a lot of the signatures, some of the signatures are, are faded so you can hardly see them. But he knew that um, the only chance of it being rescued and saved was through me. And like those whiffs, you know, he figured out a way to get me to look that way and drew me to this football. And I'm going to hold on to it until it's reunited to where it came from. You know, it's going to be protected. And um, I would love to be able to figure out where this football was signed and all that stuff. I mean, that's I'm just connected to the history uh, of, of the Oakland Raiders. And, and this is so symbolic of, of my connection to the team. And, and I know uh, without a doubt that it actually came from um, Mr. Davis. Mr. Davis was one in uh, the send a message that he, hey, he's still watching over me. He's still there. You know, he was, he will always be one of the most influential uh, people I've ever met in my life. He gave me the opportunity to play in the NFL when two other teams refused to do so. And he, he found me in the streets of Spain while I was out there in the World League. And he's like, I want you to come play for the Raiders. And he showed me the arts of uh, being a hardcore football player uh, that was, that was so, you know, you know, I, you know, like I said, I mean, a lot of people know I didn't really uh, make my mark as a receiver at the time because, man, I got I got like super Hall of Fame people in front of me. So, you know, where I made my time and my made my impression was on special teams. And he would even pull me aside and and coach me up on special teams uh, and tell me how good of a job I was doing on special teams. So I was out there trying to make plays to, um, you know, to honor him and, and, and to help his team, which my team as well, win. And so, you know, this was a very, very special day for me and this is a very very special um gift from the gods you know you know al davis uh is somebody who you know when they went to the super bowl that that year after i got released um he called me um just to check on me make sure i was doing okay um you know he means a lot to me and these are the type of things that 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 uh stand out to me as the spirits watching over the people who they are connected to and you know i wanted to share that story with you guys especially the ones who are the hardcore Raiders and all that stuff. I mean, um, one day when when the Raiders get get things back on track and all that stuff, and they win that uh, their fourth uh, Lombardi Trophy, I think I'm gonna find a way to to get this ball uh, on that table too, and people are gonna know that this is a gift from Al Davis. Maybe that's my mission. Maybe that's my mission with this ball, the coolest ball in the world. Maybe that's gonna be my mission to return it to the table that was it was placed on when the '68 Raiders signed it, and then maybe that's 
my mission is to get it back there on that table right next to the Lombardi Trophy when they win their fourth one, and then it will be re returned back to its owners. Oh man, wow, it all makes sense now. And it all happened on K-Shed Uncuffed as I'm connecting with my listeners, and I just wanna say uh, we are going to wrap this up there because I'm about to get all emotional, and um, K-Shed Uncuffed has a image to uphold. You can't see me like that, but anyway, thank you for your time. Uh, if you guys have any questions, kshedoncuffed at gmail.com is where I can be reached. We have a lot of great episodes en route. Uh, there's a couple people who I want to bring on the show to, um, to kind of lighten to you guys on some on some issues that's going on in the world that's going to kind of blow your mind. But for now, I'm going to tuck this beautiful ball in, my, um, in the cup of my arm, and I'm going to visualize myself playing for the 68 Oakland Raiders going to touchdown to change the outcome of the New York Jet game. The spirits are watching. Hey, shit. Out.
11. Super Bowl 11. Embodied.